That was hard to know when to stand. I didn't know when the last bell was going to dong on that time, but I got it. Thank you, Norm. Uh, as I said last week, we're going to take a little bit of a pause in our Second Samuel uh, series that we have uh, been in and begin uh, a time of preparation for Christmas. And so I invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles with me or in your bulletins, if you would uh, prefer, to Romans chapter 10 this morning. Do keep your bulletins handy because I'll refer to a number of uh, passages that are scattered throughout uh, your bulletin this morning. It's page 946 of those blue Bibles. And I recognize that this is not exactly a uh, classic Christmas text, but uh, we'll work with it here, and I think you'll see uh, and understand where we're going uh, with it. So one of the things that I try to do each year uh, as a pastor is is figure out a way to, and I, I hope you appreciate this, repackage Christmas for us. I mean, when it, when it comes to a season of preparation for Christmas, I want to hear the story told again. I trust you want to hear the story told again. But I kind of ask myself the question, how do we do that in a way that, is, that helps us to perhaps see Christ from a little bit of a different angle, to understand the gospel and the incarnation uh, from a different way, so that it is both the old story that we love and also told in a way that can hopefully uh, grab our attention and perhaps uh, be somewhat memorable for us, at least for uh, a brief time or the time of a particular season, or a particular year. So I try to provide for us handles by which we can uh, conceive of this, right? This is a gift uh, that is worth regifting, and it is a gift that is worth re-receiving each year uh, as well. Now, the way that I've done this then over the past three years is I've chosen one word, one word that's kind of characteristic of the uh, of the Christmas season, of the Christmas story, as it is presented to us uh, in the Gospels. And then I've riffed on that from various places in Scripture. In 2019, uh, we started this with the word peace. And so we looked at peace, uh, and we traced how uh, the Scripture unpacks that and the message of Christmas as well. In 2020, we did the word hope and worked that through. And then last year, we did the word believe. Okay, and, and we took the idea of belief as it's presented to us in the culture at large, but then belief as it's presented to us in the Word of God as well. We used also credo. We used it in Latin, I believe, uh, and basically worked then through uh, both the Apostles and the Nicene Creed, all of the statements about what we believe, what I believe uh, with respect to the incarnation of our Lord. So that was the past three years, but now I'm going to change us up and try something a little bit different this year. I'm going to allow a particular line from a Christmas song uh, to guide us for the next several weeks. And the song and the line are the same. It is, do you hear what I hear? Hey, do you hear what I hear? Now, I didn't choose that uh, title and that song because I think it is the best Christmas song that is out there. I happen to like it. If you don't like it, I'm sorry to keep reminding you of it um, week after week here for a couple of weeks. So apologies for that. Nate told me he doesn't like it. But anyway, um, uh, I, I didn't choose it because uh, Bing Crosby did the cover of it, and I love Bing Crosby, and so uh, that was the reason. I chose it 
just very simply because I like the question. I like the question. I like the, the invitation that I find in the question uh, to enter in, to hear a fresh that is there. Now, if you know that song, that Christmas song, uh, uh, then you know that there's actually three questions that are part of that song. The first is, do you see what I see? The second is, do you hear what I hear? And then the third question that is asked is, do you know uh, what I know? But I like that. I, I think that invites us in. All three of those invite us in to the kind of reflection that we ought to have in terms of the, the sights and the sounds and uh, the meaning of Christmas. What do I do with my bulletin? Sorry. So uh, if you look at your bulletin where you've got the sermon text printed, I think we can see this idea here in uh, a, a very well-known passage for us after the visit of the shepherds. We read this, Luke chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So there's a hearing that takes place. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Kind of a reflection on that. Do you know what I know? Take it in and ponder these things. And then again, verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen as it had been told them. So there were the sights that they saw. There was the sound that they heard. And then there was putting it all together and trying to discern what does all of this mean? What is the significance of everything that is taking place? Now, we appreciate this, but it's worth uh, noting as we begin a series like this. There were very few people, relatively speaking, who saw the first Christmas, who saw the child Christ, the birth of Christ. None of the apostles saw it, right? None of them saw this birth took place. None of them visited uh, him as an infant uh, child. There were relatively few people. And so while we are, are overwhelmed with kind of the sights of Christmas, we recognize that we are amongst the great multitude not just like the recent multitude, but the multitude from out all the generations of the church who are hearers of this story. We try to, uh, to do things visually that, if you will, uh, help us to reflect on these things in some way or, or at least stir up for us warm feelings inside. And that's okay. But this is a heard story. This is something that is reported. It's told to us. And so that's what we look at today. We begin with consideration about hearing the word of Christ. We'll, we'll move next week into the substance of what we hear at the declarations that are made in the well-known passages of Christmas. But this morning, I want us to reflect on just the, the fact of hearing and the process of hearing. So I'm going to read for us, and in light of that, and to prepare us for that, I'm going to read for us from Romans 10, recognize that I'm kind of picking it up in the middle of a discussion that's being held, but I think it will work for our purposes today. This is the Word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, beginning at verse 8. But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Let me pray for us. Great God in heaven, today, today, this morning, now, give us ears to hear your word. Lord, help us to be attentive to your word as it is proclaimed to us this morning. As we hear it from your word, we pray that you would unstop our ears and let the word penetrate down into our lives, into our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He is there, and he is not silent. He is there, and he is not silent. That's the name of the book. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Uh, by apologist slash theologian Francis Schaeffer. He is there, and he is not silent. Here's the, the thing I want to start then with Schaefer along in saying this, is if we are going to talk about hearing, and that's what we're talking about today, we're talking about the process of hearing, then biblically speaking, we don't begin with our ears, we don't even begin with ourselves, we begin with God himself, he is there and he is not silent, hearing doesn't start with us. It doesn't have its origins in your ear or in uh, our being and our being hearers ourselves. God is not silent. He spoke creation into being. He said, let there be light. And our God not only speaks, but our God hears as well. Think, for example, of the, the many times that we read in the Psalms how the psalmist rejoices in the fact that God has heard his prayers, heard his pleas, heard even the psalmist's sighs and groanings. Our God listens. Uh, Isaiah writes that his ear is not dull so that he cannot hear. Our God speaks and our God hears, from which I think we can draw a very simple conclusion that will start us on our way. If our God speaks, then we should listen, right? <laughs> right? If our God speaks, then we should listen. If our God hears, 
then we should hear also. I know, I know the corollary would, would be appropriately, then we should speak to God. And that's true, but it's not our, our theme for this morning. If our God hears, and we are to be imitators of our God, then we should be hearers as well. So, our text, Romans 10, that we've got before today. Behind our text here, there is a question. There's a question about Israel, and there's a question about the Gentiles and the response of each to the good news of the gospel that is going forth, that is being proclaimed. And, and it kind of it runs like this. The anointed one, the Christ, the promised Messiah has come, and the good news about him is known and is being made known. Well, then here's the question. Well, why aren't more Israelites believing? If that's the case, if, if, if these things belong to them, if it, if it was theirs, if Jesus is their Messiah, their anointed one, why aren't more of the Israelites believing? Is it a hearing problem? That's, that's a, a, a theoretical question that's kind of tossed out there. Maybe it's a case that they haven't heard these things. Maybe, maybe it's a communication issue. Maybe they didn't hear. Maybe they didn't understand the things that have been said to them. The problem, of course, is that hearing is absolutely and utterly essential. If our text makes nothing else clear, it makes it very clear that you have to hear. You have to hear in order to have this faith. So let's lay the foundation uh, for this discussion with our text that we have today. So this text makes it absolutely clear that God speaks loudly, broadly, and clearly. If we use uh, the, the poetry of our song, do you hear what I hear? The poetry of that song is that he speaks with a voice as loud as the seas, right? With a voice as, and that's good. That's, that's a biblical way of describing the voice of God, as loud as the seas. And the passage that I've read, particularly in the way that I've chosen to start at verse 18, and uh, pardon me, start at verse 8 and end at verse 18, the passage then at the beginning and the end of the passage gets at this idea of the speech of God. Now, what I'd like to do is actually start for, say, at verse 18, the last verse that's in your bulletin, or, or just follow along with me in your Bible. So, here's the question, verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Now, the, in context, have they not heard? Have the Israelites not heard? Have, have they not heard about this? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, you kind of hear that and you go, okay, whose voice, whose words have gone out to the end of the world? So, this is a quote. Paul is quoting here from uh, our call to worship. Okay, so our call to worship on page three is from Psalm 19. So let me, let me read a couple of verses here to give you uh, the, the, the context of what Paul is saying here. The, Psalm 19, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, whose voice? 
the voice of day and night, the voice of creation, the voice of all that God has made. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So the voice sounds forth. It describes how God has created the world and the fact that he can be known in that creation. He can be known from the stars. He can be known from the the rising of the sun, from the setting of the sun, from the rising of the moon, from the setting of the moon, from the sky and the birds and the mountains and the changing seasons, the rivers, the seas. God can be known in all of that because it is speaking. It is a voice that is going out. Psalm 29, not quoted by Paul here, gets at this idea as well. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord has gone out. It's gone out into all the world, and there's no one who hasn't heard it. Everybody who lives in this world has heard the voice of God speaking through what God has made. But it also assumes kind of a corollary to this. It assumes that in our very constitution, in the way that God has made us, we have the capacity, we have the receptors, not only to, if you will, hear the sound of the voice, but to perceive to understand, to to respond to the voice in a way that makes sense. We are created in that way so that when the voice goes out, there's part of us that understands, I get that language. I know what that language is. That's the language of the creator, the language of the creator speaking to the creation. It is part of our image bearing. We could talk here. We're not going to. We've talked about it in other uh, times and other sermon series. But we could talk here about being made in the image of God and the idea of, of morality that is formed within us, of conscience that exists within us, of the metaphysics of being that testify to the very existence of God and the power of God, the authority of God in what he has made. But the point here is very simply that this, that no one can say, and Israel included, cannot say that they didn't hear God because the voice has gone out to all the earth, to the ends of the earth. Israel heard that voice, but they heard more as well. So that's 18, right? Now we're going to go to 8, where we started this passage. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. You don't need to turn there with me. I'm going to explain that quote in just a moment because Paul is quoting there from Deuteronomy chapter 30. But one might say of the stars, of the moon, of the heavenly bodies, of the handiwork of God, that's a long way away. That voice is, is, is talking, but I'm pretty far from that voice of God that you are describing here. And so Paul makes the point as exactly Moses made the point back in Deuteronomy 30. We already introduced Deuteronomy a little bit uh, with a reading from uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, uh, earlier in our service. But here, Moses is concluding, uh, culminating this sermon that he is giving on the edge of the promised land. And as he concludes it, he says this, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. 
It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it. So it's not like it's way up there somewhere. I can't hear what you're saying, God. You're too far up. It's too distant from me. That's not the case. Next verse. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we might hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. That's the point that's being made here. Israel not only heard God's voice in creation, if you will, what we, what we call general revelation, but, but Israel heard God's voice in particular, and, and, and this might help, speaking into their ear. Just with, with a hand cupped on their ear, God saying to them, listen carefully. Let me explain this to you very carefully. Listen to what I am saying here. It was very near so that nobody in Israel could say, uh, you know what? I was on the low side of the mountain that day. I know the elders and Moses, they were up high on the mountain. I was far away from the mountain that day. I was sick that day. I was giving birth that day. Uh, I was out getting water that day. I missed what you were saying. Nobody can say it. Nobody can say it. The Israelites heard the word of God. He spoke it directly to them. He wrote it down for them. He put it into their lives and into even at this stage their hearts. So the word was something that was very near to them. And that word, that word of God, told them of and prepared them for the coming of a Messiah. And here's then where Paul goes. So you've got these two things that frame this. On one side of it, uh, you've got God's general revelation that God has made the world. On the other side of it, you've got all of the things that God communicated to Israel in particular. The covenants and the promises and the history and all of the words that God gave to them in particular. But now Paul says, in addition to that, as if that wasn't enough, there's something more than that as well. Because a clearer report is now sounding throughout the land. And, and I, you could see this, we could use the words here of this passage in Romans, but if you'll allow me, I'm going I'm to use the first two verses of the book of Hebrews to illustrate this, because this, this is addressing, again, the Jewish nation, and it says this, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he spoke to us. He spoke to us by Moses. He spoke to us by Isaiah. He spoke to us even by David, who functioned in a prophetic uh, role. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And what Paul is saying here is you've got these two things. These are really good things. Right? You've got the word of creation, you've got the word of Moses speaking to you, but now, but now, in the person of the Son, the one who receives all things and the one who created all things, now God is speaking through him. And that's an even clearer report, that's an even clearer revelation than it was before. So God has spoken, and course, we are commanded, we are expected to be able to hear what God 
has said. Now, we read this earlier, as I said, in the Shema. This is the clarity of the command, and Israel gets it. Israel receives it. Uh, Verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And then, of course, verse 4, more well-known than verse 3, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love him with all of your heart. The fundamental command when God speaks, when God gives this word, is hear. Hear it. Listen to the word that is being spoken to you. To illustrate this just from a couple of other places, although we could use literally a a thousand places, think of the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom raises her voice in the streets and she cries out to all of the passers-by saying, come, come, feast upon me. Listen to my voice. Don't listen to the other voices that are out there. Don't listen to the voices of folly that are in the land. Come and listen to my voice. We are expected and commanded to hear. Think of the scene just because we've been in Samuel. I know this is in 1 Samuel. But when Samuel rebukes Saul for his disobedience, Samuel doesn't say to him, Saul, you must not have heard. You must not have been paying attention when I told this to you. He doesn't say that to him. He says to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice and to and you can, I'm going to give you two words, to listen than the fat of rams, or to hearken than the fat of rams. It, it would have been better, Saul, if in hearing my words, you would have heeded my words. If in hearing them, you would have listened. If in hearing them, you would have hearkened unto the word. That's what I want you to do. That's what God wants you to do. And if we want one New Testament place uh, for this, look on the front of uh, your bulletins with me. On the front of your bulletins, I put Matthew 17:5. Uh, this is the transfiguration. Uh, a, a, a moment of comedic relief here as it begins. He was still speaking when, okay? He was still speaking as Peter. Okay? Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration talking. At that moment, you shouldn't talk. Okay? You should just be quiet. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, shh, Peter. Uh, no, it said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to the son. I've given you the Son. I am the Father who told you to listen to me. Now I'm telling you, listen to the Son. Two commands there that we should listen. And we should, of course, understand that we're uh, talking here not just about a kind of passive, uh, half-listening type of thing, but attentive, ready to believe, ready to act, ready to do, ready to speak according to the word that is spoken to us. So we've got the speech of God, we've got the fact that, uh, that we are commanded to hear, but then here is the simple reality. The simple reality for humanity and for Israel and for us is that, of course, it is much easier said than done. And all of us know this. All of us know this from our own personal experience of the things that we've heard that we then do not do. And if we have been parents in this world, we doubly know this. Right? We doubly know this, because how many times do you say to your kids, listen to what I am saying? 
Do what I am telling you to do. We know experientially that it's easier to say these things than it is actually to do these things. And that's the case ever since, and this is important to recognize this, ever since our first parents listened to and hearkened unto the voice of the serpent. Since that time, listening has become the point of resistance for us. It is the place where the resistance meets, where the resistance raises up its head and says, I will not listen. I will not do it. We are determined, at least in our natural selves, not in our redeemed, saved selves, but at least in our natural selves, we are determined to be deaf, or at least very selective in our hearing. Just think of how many people scoff at the idea of the eternal Son of God taking on flesh, being conceived in a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. That word is clear. That word goes out. That word is sung by people who then scoff at the very thing that they are singing. In this passage, Paul gets at this idea. He's, he's, he's trying to show us how hard it is, humanly speaking, to hear. Look at verse 16 with me for a moment in our Romans passage. He says this, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. They've not all. That is, not everybody who hears it, Israelites and Gentiles, not everybody obeys the gospel. And, and the word obey there is, is a word that could be equally well translated. Not everybody listens to the gospel. Not everybody hearkens unto the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, that quote from Isaiah, and again, I, you don't need to turn to it. That quote is from Isaiah 53, verse 1. You know Isaiah 53. It is the passage in which the suffering servant is promised unto the world. The one who will come and suffer on behalf of the people who are wayward in order to take their afflictions upon himself and to redeem this people, to forgive their sins, to bring them back. But it starts off with this, Isaiah saying, Lord, who has believed this report? Who has believed what they have heard from us? The idea here is, prophetically speaking, Isaiah is anticipating the rejection of the suffering servant. He's saying, I'm about to say what are quite sincerely, quite possibly some of the greatest words in the Old Testament about the suffering servant who is to come. Who's going to believe it? Who's going to believe what I'm saying? Who's going to believe this report? And then, and then Paul kind of caps this section off in verse 21. Verse tw it's, not in your, uh, it's not in your bulletins. Verse 21, which is the last verse of chapter 10, is this. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. A disobedient and contrary people. What's the problem? Is there a hearing problem here? Is there a communication issue? Is God not speaking? Is he not speaking loudly enough? Is he not speaking personally enough? Is he not speaking enough in the person of his son? No, that's not the issue. The issue is, in fact, a disobedient and a contrary people. 
Now, please understand this, that Israel is not unique in being deaf to the voice of God, but there is something here. There is something about her position as one who heard more than any other people from God himself, directly from God himself, that intensifies and magnifies her culpability. Having heard in a way that others hadn't heard about this God, when you reject that, when you become a contrary, disobedient people to the words that were directly spoken to you, there is an intensity and a culpability that is increased, that is magnified for Israel. If anyone should have listened to the voice of the Father saying, listen to the voice of my son, Israel should have. Israel should have done that. Some did, and Paul makes that point very clear. He's among those who did. There are others who did as well. There are those of you who are right here with us today who are of Israel, properly speaking, or or, uh, blood speaking at least, and have listened to and have heard the voice. Many did not. Many did not. And the sadness of this is that hearing is absolutely indispensable. It is absolutely essential. Right? We don't live at the time of Christ. We weren't in Bethlehem. We didn't watch Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. We didn't see him heal people. We weren't at the transfiguration to see everything that took place there. We weren't at the crucifixion. We weren't at the resurrection or the ascension. We cannot for ourselves, set up a Thomas-like criteria by which we say, here's my criteria for belief. If I see him and if I can stick my finger in his side, then I will believe. Thomas did that. (laughs) Amazingly, the Lord condescended to him. (laughs) Amazingly. Graciously, the Lord condescended to that. But we don't live at that time. We don't live at that place And so praise God for the words of our Lord to Thomas, which says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Okay. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So we aren't among those who have seen. So how then do the unsighted, the unseeing, how do they believe? The answer to that is by spirit-empowered hearing. Here's the sequence that is laid out in Romans chapter 10, and I know I'm not going through every part of this today. Here's the sequence. The king, our Lord, speaks and acts. And then the king, our Lord, appoints heralds to take the good news and to speak it, to preach it, to proclaim it, to use the words of the text that is in front of us. Those words become not merely the words of the herald, but when the king gives the herald the words, they are the words of the king that are going forth from the herald. That's why they are the word of Christ. Verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ, the preaching, the preaching going out of the word is the word of Christ coming unto the people. 
It's not just the words of the messenger. It's the word of Christ coming out to the people of God. And then, when that word goes out by the power of the Spirit, it goes to the hearer, and the hearing then begets faith, verse 17, right? So faith comes from hearing. The faith begets, in the words of this passage here, the faith begets calling, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, the sinner, or it begets confession, same idea here, my Lord and my God. The hearing begets calling, begets faith, begets calling and confession, and that calling begets salvation. That's what verse 10 says for us. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the God of heaven and earth, who could write the gospel in the clouds every morning, every morning you could wake up and it could say across the sky, John 3.16. Maybe just the reference is there, maybe the entire verse is written out in the clouds every morning, God could do it. Not a hard thing for God to do, right? Easy for God to put John 3.16 up every morning for you. The God who could boom out verses. You could wake up every morning to the sound of God speaking throughout all of the earth, calling you to believe, sharing you the verses of scriptures. God could do personal miracles for you every single day. Wouldn't be hard for him to do that. You could just ask for a miracle because you're feeling a little out of it. You're feeling a little unsure. God, would you do this miracle? Everything's set. Right, I got it. I believe in you. God could send an angel to visit you every few weeks. God could give you dreams and visions. God could do any of those things. But instead, he has chosen, he has ordained preaching which he will call in just a few pages. We won't turn over to it. But in just a few pages, he will speak of the foolishness of preaching. He will speak of the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of the messenger, the foolishness of the method, the foolishness of the message itself, because the message itself seems ridiculous that someone should die on a cross and that should be the means of your salvation and deliverance. He will choose the foolishness of preaching as the means by which we hear, we believe, we call, and are saved. Why does he do that? Paul answers, And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why that means, why not any of the showy things that I just mentioned? So that God receives all of the glory. Because out of the weakness of this event in which we are engaged right now, God is pleased to save, to build up, to encourage and equip the saints according to his word. Some will always reject it. They will reject God's method, God's messenger, and God's message. They might hear, but they dismiss it. They consider it foolish nonsense. And they say that if God really wanted our attention, he surely could do something more dramatic than 
this present exercise in which we are engaged. But for others, in whom the Spirit of God is at work, then hearing is a gift. When the word is preached, they hear their shepherd's voice, their true shepherd's voice. And they respond, as a young Samuel was taught to respond, Lord, speak, for your servant hears. They respond as Mary responded, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Or like Thessalonians on the front of your bulletin. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Do you hear what I hear? What we hear is the word of God. What we hear is the word of Christ. He is here, and he is not silent. He's not just there and not silent. He is here, and he is not silent. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Great God in heaven, hearing is a gift from you, a hearing aid that you have given to us so that these ears might take in the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, and that in hearing we might believe, and in believing we might call out, cry out to you, and be saved. Lord, make it true of us. Only you can do it. To you be the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.